sessions underscore sph at berkeley.edu. I repeat, it's podcast questions underscore sph at berkeley.edu. Together, let's explore the various dimensions of public health. I am thrilled to interview Ms. Sarah Leff, Title V Director of Children and Youth with Special Healthcare Needs for the State of California. She's my fellow colleague in the Maternal Child and Adolescent Health Division within the California Department of Public Health, or CDPH. Sarah has dedicated her career to MCH, demonstrating commitment and contributing to promoting and protecting the health of moms, children, adolescents, and families in California. She has been working with CDPH and CAH since 2013. Children and youth with special healthcare need efforts are supported by the California Department of Public Health using federal funds from the Title V Maternal and Child Health Block Grant. Title V is a federal funding source designed to provide family-centered, community-based healthcare infrastructure and services to maternal and child populations in all U.S. states and territories. Services for children and youth with special healthcare needs have been an integral part of the Title V mission since its inception. Children and youth with special healthcare needs are in general defined as infants, children, and youth who have one or more chronic physical, developmental, behavioral, or emotional conditions and require health and support services. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm really, really excited to interview you since you're, of course, my fellow colleague for the (laughs) past six or seven months. Um, Yeah, I thought it'd be great to kickstart this episode discussing your background um, and help the audience get to know more um, about you. What got you interested in public health? What's can you tell us your, your story? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Key. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Um, so as far as my background, for me, um, I had actually never really heard of public health as a field to work in until after I graduated from college. Um, for me, I think my interest in public health started with an interest in women's studies, which began much earlier for me. I took, you know, was taking women's studies classes um, at the local community college during high school. And then when I was getting my bachelor's at UCLA, I double majored in women's studies and international development studies. And so there was a lot about, you know, kind of how health intersects with, um, with gender equity and with the experiences of women. And then um, after college, when I was kind of, you know, exploring various different paths, I was actually in, I was in Argentina teaching English and I knew I wanted to, you know, start applying for graduate school mm-hmm. back in the United States. And I was just looking at different options and I wanted, um, you know, something of course, that I was really interested in and also a field where I would be able to um, get a job, not just in academia. You know, I kind of wanted to have more options. So anyway, somehow I stumbled upon public health and I was like, well, this just sounds perfect because (laughs) it's like an intersection of something that's like very, um, very applicable, you know, kind of important and timely and has this opportunity to focus on, um, you know, the issues of women and, and mothers and children. 
And, you know, and also, I mean, honestly, a big part of it was that I had not, um, I had not done any of the, you know, undergraduate courses that one would need to do to go into a medical field. Just, it's just, you know, kind of not my interest or my area of strength, but I always really liked the idea of working in a health related field. So I thought this was like, you know, kind of a perfect way to work in a health related field, but not on the clinical side. Mm, got it. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, it's, it's really interesting how you were able to like mesh your interest in um, health related field and your background in women's studies and um, it's it's great that you you and how did you choose um, maternal child and adolescent health and more specifically uh, the children and youth with special health care needs yeah so um, with maternal and child health I knew kind of from the moment that I discovered public health I knew maternal and child health was where I would want I would want to be in focus and so when I was applying to graduate schools, um, I pretty much very specifically looked for programs with maternal and child health programs. And so I ended up going to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill um, and kind of instantly knew that it was the right decision. By the way, I just want to mention, you know, because since this is a podcast for students, I took four years off between college and graduate school. You know, I know a lot of a lot of people feel very pressured to kind of go straight through, but, um, you know, I took some time to figure it out. And so anyway, by the time I was in graduate school, I felt really confident that it was the right decision. And I just, you know, kind of loved it. And instantly was like, you know, this focus on, um, women and families and, and infants and children, just, it kind of just instantly felt like, yes, this is where, where I belong within public health. And then <clears throat> as far as children and youth with special health care needs, which of course is the focus of my current position. Um, so I pretty much consider myself like a generalist within maternal and child health. I've worked across a lot of the different um, populations and, and focus areas. So I'm not kind of more interested in children and youth with special health care needs than any other population, mm-hmm. but this position came up, um, you know, kind of as an opportunity to build, build up this new initiative. And it's a population that is often kind of um, more associated with the healthcare delivery system than with public health. So I was very excited to look, um, you know, kind of to look at this population with a new lens And then of course I also do have like, you know, kind of personal family um, experiences and connections to children and young people with special healthcare needs. So from that perspective, I was also very interested in learning more and seeing if I could improve improve systems that serve that population. Great, thank you. Um, On that note, can you explain your role as um, the Title V Children and Youth with Special Healthcare Needs Director? For the state of California, what does a typical day look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, Title V, the Maternal and Child Health Services Block Grant, of course, um, you know, I'll keep that part very short, but, um, you know, a federal block grant that exists in all of the US states and territories. And so, each state is required to have um, kind of an overall Title V director. And then specifically a Title V director for children and youth with special health care needs. And that, um, 
I'll keep the history lesson part of it short, but it has a really interesting background in how Title V started. Um, so back, you know, kind of early, um, early 1900s, there was a program called, and this is not um, a term that we use anymore, but it was called the Crippled Children's Services Program. Mm. And that program um, formed one of the key components of kind of the package of programs that became Title V. Um, so from the very beginning, Title V has had this like really major and substantial focus on children with special health care needs. And um, at the time, that was very much in response to the polio epidemic and the um, kind of resulting physical disabilities. So, of course, you know, um, the scope and focus has evolved a lot since then, but that's just kind of a kind of brief, um, like brief historical context for why each state has that director position. And then, gosh, I feel like there's not a typical day. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, so we have been kind of building this up as a new initiative. So over the past couple years, or I'll say the past couple years before the pandemic, um, it was very much focused on building a new initiative in terms of doing a lot of needs assessment, connecting with partners, you know, just kind of tons of meetings with stakeholders, participating um, in different, you know, work groups and just kind of getting the word out there, building relationships, making connections, you know, looking at data, just kind of trying to like learn as quickly as I could. Um, the pandemic, course changed everything and you know it became um just kind of trying to keep up with everything else that was going on mm -hmm. but I think in terms of like a typical day you know let's say prior to COVID it would be um you know kind of connecting with some of our main state level partners probably you know having a few inter internal team meetings to talk about our next steps and um and strategizing kind of for how to address the highest priority issues. Mm. Great. Um, and I just want to probe you further there. So you sure. mentioned um, meeting stakeholders, of course, like prior to COVID um, and, you know, making those connections. So I'm sure you work um, with families that have um, a child or a youth with special with a special healthcare need. So when you work with families, how do you build trust? Um, especially these are families with um, um, with a child or or an an adolescent at home uh, with a special healthcare need. Yes. Yeah. So I think um, you know because the families and family members that I'm working with, you know, in kind of in the context of my state level position, usually are either, you know, kind of a professional parent advocate, you know, kind of, and or someone who kind of sits on committee committees, basically, you know, kind of people who are bringing lived experience as part of um, their professional role. So they're kind of, um, you know, they're kind of already practiced at kind of interacting in those spaces. Um, and so I think, you know, but of course, the answer to my question will probably be the same, whether it's, you know, someone who is already 
you know, kind of trained in operating in these like more health professional spaces, or, you know, we do also invite family members to our needs assessment and stakeholder meetings to help provide input. And so as far as building trust, I mean, I think I came into this role just trying to learn as much as I could. And so I think it's kind of just basically putting that out there and just, you know, welcoming everything that anyone shares. Um, yeah, just kind of, you know, learning, asking questions and, um, and not, you know, not assuming that I know anything about their experience, which was really easy in this case, because I really truly don't know any, you know, I really didn't know much about this field. So it was just mm -hmm. coming from like, just a place of openness and curiosity and respecting, you know, of course, respecting their experience and their contributions. Um, and then let's see, there was one more thing I was going to add about that it's slipping my mind, but, um, but yeah, I think, I think just learning and, um, you know, making it clear, oh, making it clear that they're, you know, a valuable source of information and, and that we, you know, really appreciate having um, their voice at the table. And then the other thing I was going to mention, I remembered it is also making it very clear what we can and cannot do because mm -hmm. with children and youth with special health care needs, um, many of the issues that parents and family members will bring up are related to the healthcare delivery system. And so, you know, I think it's just a balance between, um, you know, listening, writing things down, definitely, you know, kind of taking those concerns very seriously. And at the same time, being very clear that that's not within our power to impact. And so, you know, just kind of responding to those concerns with, um, you know, with, with appreciation and validation mm -hmm. and letting, you know, letting whoever's sharing the concern know that we can share those concerns with our partners, um, at the, you know, within the healthcare delivery system and, you know, that kind of will do our best to share their concerns, but just being very clear, you know, we don't oversee the managed care plans. We don't oversee, yeah. um, Medi-Cal. And so just being, you know, very clear about what we can and cannot promise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I thank you actually for you know keeping it honest. I, I think that's that's very um, integral as a public health practitioner and leader. Um, so moving on to my next question, what are some of the levers that you have as a state public health leader to initiate change? Where, according to you, does uh, change truly come from? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think this is probably one of the reasons why, you know, I'm coming up on my eighth year working for the state. Great. And, um, you know, working for the state has a lot of challenges, but the impact you have is just unrivaled. I mean, I think there's just, no, there's no comparison um, elsewhere, except for, you know, perhaps in the federal government, I would imagine would be kind of the only place <laughs> where you could have, you know, a broader impact. Um, but so, yes, yeah, you know, kind of working in the state public health department, mm -hmm. you just have, um, you just have so many opportunities for impact. And so, you know, and those include, I think the, um, kind of the, the trust and, and just kind of credit that we get, 
you know, as state public health leaders, granted, there's been a lot of challenges with this recently, of course, a lot of, you know, kind of um, mistrust and, and, um, and questioning, you know, but I think in general, um, our voice is still respected, you know, as, as, um, as the state public health department, I think, you know, particularly in maternal and child health, we're very separate from, you know, from the COVID messaging. And so I think, you know, I think we're still well-respected in our field and, um, you know, and just having impact over such a large state. And that gives us a lot of, um, it gives us a lot of impact over even national numbers because what we do in California, of course, impacts, um, you know, the data that our country is producing as a whole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then yes. as far as, oh, I'm sorry, I was gonna answer the second part or try to answer the second part of the question. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, let's see, so where does change truly come from? I mean, I think change comes from the local level a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, our role in that sense is to support as best we can. Um, I think it's kind of, I mean, I, I'm just kind of like imagining the socio-ecological model. I think change happens at all levels. Um, you know, at the individual level, of course, it can be like one home visitor or one, you know, one caring person can make, can completely change the trajectory, you know, the trajectory of someone's life. Um, and then, you know, but at the policy level, of course, it would be more of like a legislative change. So yeah, I think it, I feel like it really happens at all levels. That's true. Yeah. It's, I mean, everything in public health is like so layered and it's yeah. all about you know, feeling the layers like an onion. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, my, this uh, brings me to the last question of this uh, of this episode. So in 10 years, what's your dream or vision for the population you serve, which is, of course, the children and youth with special health care needs? Um, how do you think we as the public health community can come together to improve the lives of um, these children and also their families? Yeah, that's, gosh, that's a really good question. I mean, I think part of what you know, and of course, you know this because we've talked about it, but I'll, um, you know, explain it a little more. Part of it is broadening the way we think about this population, you know, even from the the term we use, we say children and youth with special health care needs, which mm-hmm. is just, you know, it's a very commonly used term. It's used by federal funding sources. And, and um, so we tend to use it, but it's not really an accurate term for actually the population that we're trying to serve. I mean, I think at this point, especially, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, probably almost all children have some kind of, you know, need for additional support and services. Um, And so I, I feel like it's just really broadening the way we think about it, that it's not like checking off eligibility of certain medical conditions, but it's more, you know, is this child or young person at a place in their life where they need some extra support and attention? Mm -hmm. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's just kind of really broadening how we think about this population while at the same time, you know, what I kind of, what we always kind of struggle with is balancing like 
but we also want to keep, you know, we want to keep our focus on this population. Um, we don't want to just kind of lose it and start, you know, treating it as the whole population because we do want to kind of have specific support and services for this population. Um, so that's just, I think, something that's still being figured out. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think how we as the public health community can come together, I think it's thinking about this population through a public health lens, you know, not just thinking, oh, children and youth with special health care needs are being taken care of by the medical system, um, but thinking in terms of like, what can we do in terms of, um, you know, supporting families, supporting caregivers, making sure that the other needs of the child outside of their medical needs are, you know, kind of being addressed, like their you know, needs for friendship and recreation. And, um, you know, I think kind of as a, like, this is kind of just a random coincidence, but my cousin <laughs> who lives in New York started a nonprofit um, that was inspired by her son and her two you know, and her two daughters. So she has um, a son with major disabilities and then he has two sisters. And while he was growing up, she kind of noticed, you know, there's not a lot of spaces where a family can just like go and be relaxed and have it be comfortable and, you know, play and be social where, mm. you know, where it feels safe and welcoming for you know, the child with disabilities, the children without disabilities, where, you know, it doesn't feel judgmental or, you know, or even where it's just physically inclusive, like whether it's like just a regular playground or whether there's, um, you know, some accessibility features. So she started a nonprofit to do like accessible play spaces for families. And um, anyway, I think that's just kind of an example. Yeah, it's, it's super cool. But I think that's just an example of looking at, you know, what can we do to, um, to address social isolation and, um, you know, kind of bring these families um, that may feel very isolated into the community and make them feel supported. You know, I think that's, that's like a very big, it's a very big dream, but I think that would be amazing. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, um, for your time today. And sure. More than anything, thank you for all that you're doing uh, to protect and advance public health uh, within the state of California and also, you know, uh, nationally. Um, I mean, for me, I think it takes tremendous resilience to work within this population. Um, so yeah, um, I don't have anything else but to say thank you for the for for the impact that you create on so many lives. Oh well, thank you so much. My pleasure, and I'm so glad that we get to work together. <laughs> I'm glad to. Thanks, Sarah. Okay, take care.